Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hi there. It's Elaine and I'm, well, to be honest, I guess I have mixed feelings about being back after being gone for such a a long time. Uh, In fact, I guess uh, I've been what I call missing in action. So the, the podcast, my clubhouse room, and pretty much everything else has kind of gone by the wayside. I'll explain why it's been so extended. See, uh, on Sunday, the 24th of October, just at six o'clock, my husband and I were about to have supper. Just gone downstairs to our family room and my phone rang. It was my dad. He was kind of breathless and sounded a bit scared. He said that my sister had fallen down the stairs. Can we just get there? I can't tell if she's breathing. I said, yeah, on the way. Hung up the phone. Said to my husband, basically, grab your coat, let's go. On the way, my son happened to call. And I could only tell him what we knew. My father doesn't live very far from us. It's like five minutes. I wasn't quite sure what had happened or or what we were going to find when I got there. My sister had cancer back in 1997 was actually caught by her hairdresser. She found a a lump behind her ear. Thanks to her hairdresser, they discovered she had stage four malignant melanoma. And they did surgery to get rid of it and then put her on chemo for a year. The chemo really took its toll on her lungs. And in the past few years, she developed COPD and uses oxygen. The first couple of years, she used it at night. And this past a year and a bit, as we've gone through COVID, she was relying on it more and more. After her second dose of the vaccine, she was having even more trouble breathing. 
and ended up going to a respirologist just a few weeks before this. We get to the house and my sister is lying on the landing halfway down the stairs. She'd fallen from the top of the stairs. It's a, a really tiny, awkward landing. And to be honest, I don't think it's any wider than my desk in my office. There's a, a bookcase in the middle of the landing with a pile of china and knickknacks and crap on it. And on each of the sections of stairs, there's a chairlift. It was put in for my mother back in 2012. And it's something that both my sister and my dad have used in the past few years. The chair for the top section of the stair lift was at the bottom of the landing. And my sister was kind of well, her head was just below the chairlift. It had become obvious to me that she hit her head, I believe, on the chairlift. Her head was just below that. And her feet were actually up a couple of stairs. I thought in that first flash, it was kind of odd that she hadn't put her hands out to break her fall. We're never going to know what all happened, but she'd been in bed all day. The doctor in the ICU said that because of her COPD, quite often the carbon would build up, the carbon dioxide would build up in her lungs because she wasn't getting enough oxygen and it would make her super sleepy. And there were times where she would sleep for a full day, sometimes a little more. It didn't happen often, but it did happen. You couldn't wake her up easily during these times. And that afternoon, she'd been sleeping. And I guess our dad had gone outside. He was talking to the neighbors. He's not even sure how long she was lying there. It seems the last person to talk to her or, or see her was the neighbor who was on a video chat with her at 4 o'clock. That's what the neighbor told me. She said my sister sounded kind of odd and wasn't really clear. And she said she told my sister to just stay in bed. It was only maybe seven to 10 minutes after my father had called that we got there. My dad had been on the phone with 911. This operator kept telling him to check if she was breathing, check if she was breathing. The woman had no idea just how awkward the positioning was, and none of us could get into that cramped space to get close enough to her head. The way she was lying, she was facing away from us in the corner, upside down, kind of wedged below the chair seat. I kept pulling on her arm, and the bookcase was wedged against her other shoulder. So the hubby and I tried to move it. My dad went back downstairs. And I'm trying to call her name. I've got her arm. I wasn't really getting a pulse. There was no movement. 
There was no blood or cuts. There was nothing like really obvious. So my dad's back downstairs. He takes the phone and the operator's getting a bit louder. And hubby said, fine, let's just get this bookcase out of the way. That wasn't easy because it was so heavy and weighed down. And of course, on carpet, it was so hard to get it to move. And my, the woman on the phone is telling my father to get a mirror and check and see if she's breathing. And I'm yelling down the stairs that it's not that easy. We can't get close enough. You don't get it. You're not listening to him. You don't understand. I kept saying it over and over again. There's no way to get near her head. So I went down to the phone. I just wanted to know where's the ambulance? Like, why is it taking so long? And the operator said, you have to check for her if she's breathing. At this point, I'm kind of losing it. I'm very upset. So I put the phone down on the table in the kitchen, went back upstairs. See, I'm the fixer in the family. I'm the one who always feels like I have to fix everything. So now I'm pulling on my sister's arm. I'm trying to turn her over. And then, thankfully, the distance, we can hear the ambulance and, and fire engines. So I know they're not too far away. I'm trying to get out of the way because now the ambulance drivers are coming in the door. There were a few ambulances. There's like 10 people, fire engines, police. And I had a really hard time not just getting to her, but getting her down the stairs because there's another stair lift chair at the bottom section. Uh, and it was just such a mess. It was so scary. They got her into the living room and, and tried to work on her for about an hour. They kept saying, keep the family out, keep the family out, because it's not pretty when people do CPR on people that are unresponsive. You see, we already knew that, because this had happened to her back in 2009. My parents couldn't wake her up one morning. And it actually took the ambulance drivers over 57 minutes to bring her back. This time, it felt different. My sister didn't really feel like she was even there. The whole time, I'm trying to keep my dad away. And finally, I believe it was the lead ambulance guy all these people are still doing stuff in the living room and I can hear the woman saying, yeah, no, we're not getting anything. And I'm keeping fighting with my dad, trying to keep him in the kitchen. And he's saying, but she's my daughter. I want to help. Uh, trying to tell them they can't, he can't go in there. There's too many of them and they need to be able to do their work. And the main guy came out and said, uh, Okay, I'm really sorry. You know, they've tried to do everything they could. And he went on with, they've tried this and that. And we're not getting a response. And he's looking at my dad and saying, I'm very, very sorry, sir. And I just keep repeating, oh my God, oh my God. And then the lady in the living room, she yells, sir, hang on, I've got a pulse. Okay, we've got a rhythm. 
And this poor man was like, oh, he went drunk. He said, I am so sorry. Ignore everything I just said. And we've been through this before, so we kind of understood that. You know, her COPD was quite advanced, and I suddenly realized that I had to call her son. He lives at the other end of the city. Now, the door is open. The door opens, and the neighbor appears and comes in. Now there's more people. And then my son appeared. And uh, I didn't understand or know that he left his wife and the kids outside the car, which had to be terrifying for the kids with all the ambulances and fire people. They put my sister in the ambulance. And my husband and I get my dad into our car. And we take my husband home because due to COVID restrictions, Normally, there's only one person allowed in the hospital. But there's no way they're going to stop me from being there. At the hospital, my nephew had got there before we did. They put us in a little room. When the ER doctor came in, she explained kind of what she figured happened tells us that they've had to put my sister on a ventilator, that they hadn't given her any pain meds. She repeated that three times. I knew what it meant. It meant that my sister was so far into a coma, she wasn't actually feeling anything. There was no reaction to stimulus, no nothing. So they were going to set up to do a brain scan and see what was going on. They're asking us what's happened, what had happened. In these situations, you don't realize how mixed your messages get. Having had some horrible dealings with some of the medical community, I wasn't completely surprised. We told them what we knew had happened, being there, that we found her on the stairs, head first, crunched in the corner with a chairlift, and that she'd hit her head and hadn't put her hands out. Well, four days later, while we're with the doctor in ICU, who's now telling us we're going to take her off the ventilator. He says, I understand she fell in the living room and got wedged beside a couch. May not seem like a big thing, but when you're already a bit distrustful about the medical community, it just seems so odd to me that they didn't hear what we said. I told him she'd fallen down the stairs head first and hit the stairlift chair. There was a huge lump on her head right across the front. How did that possibly translate into falling beside a couch? In hindsight, I know it it doesn't matter. I just 
I just wanted the record to be straight. You see, Sunday night, after they took her to put her in ICU, we didn't get to see her on Monday. Uh, they were supposed to set up that brain scan, but to the best of our knowledge, they hadn't. They hadn't done anything else we were told they would do either. As a matter of fact, back on Sunday, in emergency, when that first doctor came in and told us what they had done so far, the minute she walked out and shut the door, my nephew, my sister's son said, look, I'm just going to be frank and logical here. I took mom to her respirologist appointment two weeks ago, and we talked about her not wanting to be on a ventilator. She knew what it did to people. She doesn't want to be living like that. And he said, I don't know what anybody else here thinks, but I don't want extraordinary measures. Now, at that point, we realized she hadn't signed a DNR or anything. She only has the one child. We all agreed with my nephew because it was important that we try and agree with her wishes. So he motioned for the doctor to come back in the room. And after confirming with my dad and myself and my son, we told the doctor that she wouldn't want that. If that was the quality of life that she would have, it wasn't what she would want. When we finally got in to see her, there was a huge, huge mouth at the front of her head. I don't know how anybody didn't mention that. As I said, we didn't get to see her on Monday. On Tuesday, I took my dad to see her. And then on Wednesday, I picked my dad up so we could go sit with her again. There hadn't been any changes. But every day we were calling and asking about the brain skin. We didn't get any news. Or it seemed they hadn't done it. As we drove to the hospital with my dad, I got a phone call from my nephew who said the doctors wanted to meet with us at supper time. When we got there, as I said, he kind of had the wrong information, but he explained to us that her organs were shutting down, her liver was shutting down, her kidneys, and there's no brainstem activity at all. He said he was actually very concerned because it seemed to be much more advanced than he expected. And then he threw in the fell by coach thing. And then I explained to him about her hitting her head. He said it changed a bit of what he was seeing was being presented to him because it now made sense. 
It's probably massive hematomas. It wasn't good. And we agreed. And just after 6.30 p.m., we took my sister off the ventilator. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. And she left us just after nine. And I think part of it being so hard is that she's five years younger than me. And we're not supposed to lose those who are younger than us. And I'm the fixer in the family. How could I not get her breathing? How could I not fix it? And in my head, I realize this is not really a good attitude. In this pandemic time, things seem to move more slowly. And with the restrictions, any services we planned had to be set up a bit differently. Why it's taken me so long to come back. And there are a couple of other stories that I'll be sharing in the next few podcasts. It won't be all doom and gloom. But it took me until now. It's the 14th of January, 2022. It's only couple of weeks before my sister will have been gone for three months. It seems I can't wrap my head around where the time has gone. We all had a rather quiet Christmas. And New Year's was pretty much non-existent. Family and others around us lost a number of people. Some that same week, some the following week. It seems to really resonate when you're deep in it. I will say this, my sister had the most infectious giggle in the world and she would not want me to end this on a sappy sad note. You know, one of the only things She left as far as direction for when she was gone, but she didn't want any 
horrible, sappy, yucky funeral music at her service. I'll talk about that. The service was pretty cool. And I'll talk about that in the next podcast. In the meantime, try and make the most of your today, every day. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.